today and what we typically do around Advent is we focus on the idea of coming. Advent actually means coming. And rather than us focusing on just one aspect of Jesus coming, we typically do two things with Advent. So if this is a new thing for you, and maybe you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you were around churches that just didn't actually celebrate or participate in this, uh, this, this season, but what Advent really has become is, is something that's focused in two different directions simultaneously. In one sense, we look back at Jesus coming. He has come. Jesus has come in the flesh. He has entered into our mess. He is familiar with our experience um, as humanity. So Jesus has come, but then we also look ahead and we focus on the anticipation that Jesus will come again. And so that's kind of the idea of Advent for us as a practice. Jesus has come and Jesus will come again. We, we reflect and we anticipate simultaneously. And what we've decided to do uh, for Generations Church and, and our community this Advent season is we've decided to focus upon some traditional themes around Advent. And so we're celebrating those things. We, last week with Pastor Jeff, we celebrated hope. Um, hope is one of those things that we have because Jesus has come and hope is one of those things that we hold on to tightly, knowing that our blessed hope is Jesus is coming back for his people. And so we celebrate hope in this season of Advent. The other themes that we're doing are peace, we're going to do joy, we're going to do love, and all of those are going to lead us up into Christmas Eve, which Pastor Jeff has already mentioned to you. We have those invites. We want you to be talking with your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and inviting them to come and be a part of Christmas Eve. But what we're doing as a church community is all kind of building up to that day when we gather together on Christmas Eve, celebrating hope, peace, joy and love. This morning, we're going to be celebrating hope. And so what I want to do is just throw up on the screen a, a, a main idea for us, okay? And this is something that uh, is going to come across, I think, probably a little wordy. And I want you to know we're going to unpack this um, through a couple different passages this morning. And so if you looked up there on the screen, it says, here's the main idea for today. The coming of Jesus is a message of God's peace by God's grace through God's promised one. Now that's Jesus, okay? And so the message, the message of Advent is a message of peace. And it's peace that we're given by God's grace through God's promised one, Jesus. And, and Jesus transforms his people, okay? So it's not just a message we hear, it's a message that enters us. It's a message that changes and transforms us so that we become followers of Jesus who graciously pursue peace with others. And so we're going to look at this in, in kind of two parts this morning. We're going to look first in Luke chapter 2. So if you have the app open and you click Bible, it's going to pull up Luke chapter 2. And we're going to first look at this message of peace that God has given us through Jesus in this season. And then we're going to look in the second part out of 1 Peter, which Matt and Justine have just read for us. And we're going to look at how the message of peace transforms us to be a people of peace. All right? So you guys ready to dive in? That's where we're going to go today. All right? So if you're in Luke chapter 2, this uh, may sound a little familiar to you. In fact, um, I would want you to think through, you know, I mentioned Advent as a ritual. 
a tradition of the church. And there's probably some rituals or traditions that your family does around this time of year. Uh, Maybe you did these things growing up. Uh, There were things that your family always did around Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And now as you've begun families, I know we have a lot of young families around here. And so maybe uh, you guys are taking some of those things that you did in growing up. And you're now beginning to practice those. You're creating your own traditions, your own rituals. Well, I I know for for me growing up, uh, my mom's dad, my grandfather, I called him Papa. And we would typically get together with my mom's family. And at some point in time, uh, you know, Papa, Mima, that was, that was the grandparents, okay, the patriarchs, and then all the aunts and uncles, and then all the grandkids, my generation, we would all get together, and before we'd exchange gifts, we would all sit around Papa as he sat in a chair, and he would open, open up the Bible to Luke chapter 2. And this was the, the passage of scripture that he would read every single year. And so whenever I read Luke chapter 2, whether it's Christmas season or not, I always hear Papa's voice. And I always hear that little whistle that was in, in, his, uh, in his, it wasn't really a list, it was just this whistle whenever he would get to kind of the S's. Maybe, uh, maybe your grandfather did that. And I always hear that as I'm reading along. And so I know as I'm reading this, I'm going to be thinking of traditions of my own family, rituals that my family holds dear. And maybe that's the same for you. If not, I would encourage you, this is the passage to use. I want to pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, okay? And I'm going to read down to verse 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now again, that may be a familiar passage to you, maybe not. Um, But what I want to do is just kind of enter into this story for a few moments and then focus on this message of peace that is proclaimed to the shepherds. The context here is that Mary is with child. She, She has Jesus in her womb, and she is about to give birth to that child, okay? And she is betrothed to a man named Joseph who has not been with her. So Mary is a virgin yet pregnant. Okay, now I get if you're new to church, I probably just lost you, all right? But, but that is the reality of God coming into humanity is this miraculous event that Mary gives birth to God in the flesh. And so Mary is betrothed to Joseph, yet they have not been together. She is miraculously expecting a child. And, and now they've traveled to Bethlehem. It's the census taxing that's going on in, in the land in which they live. But they're in the very city, Bethlehem, which centuries before, God had already said the promised one would come and be born in Bethlehem. And now here they are through these providential events in the city. And these shepherds that we were just introduced to, they are outside of the city. They're in the same region, and they're doing their job watching sheep. 
And as they're doing that job, they have now, in the quiet of the night, I would imagine have corralled all of these sheep. I've never been a shepherd, so I'm just trying to do my best, okay? I do have five kids, and so I know a little something of what it would be like, right, when that nighttime comes and you're kind of like herding them all into the same place, trying to get them to be still. And I would imagine that they've just fought through all of that. And so my guess is at this point, they're kind of ready for a relaxing night. Maybe they take some shifts as to who's on watch to make sure there's no predators coming after their sheep. But what was interesting to me is that the angel shows up in such a way that God's glory puts fear in them. You know, it puts fear in them. And, and that's not always the case. You can look back through the Bible and there's a lot of different instances when a messenger comes. In fact, that's what the word angel means. It's a messenger. So God has sent a messenger, an angel. And you can look at different stories, and it's not always something that's this dramatic. Um, there's, there's a story where Abraham is visited uh, by three men, and they just seem to be travelers passing by. And yet it actually is um, messengers from God uh, for a message uh, for, for Abraham. Um, there's another story, I think it's with Jacob, where a, a man shows up in the night and Jacob actually wrestles with this man, but it's, it's, it's a messenger. Some, some theologians believe this is a, a, an appearance of, of Christ before his incarnation, which we're reading about right now. Um, and so it, there's, there's a wrestling match, okay? It's not, it's not glory and fear. Um, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's different. There's, there's another story with Joshua where he's walking um, before the battle of Jericho and uh, he comes across uh, another man who has a sword drawn. And, and yet this is an angel, it's a messenger of the Lord uh, who, who appears to him as a warrior. So there's all these different instances where, where a messenger, an angel of the Lord can show up and, and it's not always this dramatic, but this is dramatic. So if we're going to enter into the story, they've done their job. Everything is quiet. Um, they are probably at that point in the night where they are ready to, to kind of say, hey, the day is done. Let's get some rest. And then this angel shows up and strikes fear in these shepherds. They, they, are, they are now at a point where not only is their attention um, grabbed by this messenger, but they're, 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 you know that they're wondering what sort of message they are going to receive at this point. Is this message going to be dreadful? Is this message going to be terrifying? Because at this point, the glory that's shining around this messenger has struck that type of fear in their hearts. But as we keep reading, you'll see that the next thing that happens is this messenger tells them in verse 10, not to fear. Fear not, it says. He says. I'm not really sure how to address an angel. But I imagine I would be just as terrified as these shepherds. So fear not. There isn't a need to fear, is what the angel's saying. The message that I have for you is not a message to terrify you. It's not a message to strike fear or dread in your hearts. In fact, the message that I have for you, and you see it there in verse 10, the message is good news. It's a message that not only is it's good, it's going to produce in you great joy. That's the message that I have for you. Good news of great joy and everyone is going to want to hear this message. 
if our attention wasn't already grabbed, right? I mean, the shepherds are already paying attention, right? But now their fears are being calmed. Maybe their wits are coming about them. And maybe now they're leaning in to figure out what then is next? What is it? What is the good news of great joy that everyone is going to want to hear? Why in the world are we the ones getting to hear this before others? And so the next thing we have here in verse 11 is the specifics. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I mean, that is the message not just of Advent, but of the gospel, right? That in a specific point in time, in a specific city on this globe, God himself is birthed from the womb of a woman and enters into our humanity with us, for us. A savior has come. The one that we have anticipated, the one that's been promised, the the one that prophets spoke about of old, that time has arrived in history. And the city is just down the hill or whatever you imagine where these shepherds are at. And so as unbelievable as this message would have been, the angel does what probably should have been done at this point. Hey, if you don't believe me, then just go check it out. Just just walk into the city. Go find this place. And the sign for you, verse 12, is that you are going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, that's probably not anything remarkable at this point, right? A baby's been born and wrapped in clothes. I, I think we still practice that to this day. There's probably nothing that's that dramatic or amazing or, 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 or out of the ordinary. But the next, next phrase the next phrase certainly would have piqued their curiosity. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, we certainly have romanticized this, and we do nativities and living nativities. We even have like this like toy nativity thing on one of the tables at home. And, uh, and, and I know all of those, as quaint and cute as they can be, they really do kind of distance us from the reality that when God himself entered into humanity with us and for us, he was placed in a trough that animals would eat out of. Now that's a sign, right? That doesn't happen every day. And so when the shepherds go down and they enter into this city and they search around for a baby that's been born and they find that this promised one of God has come to them and has come to them in in what possibly is the most humbling of circumstances in which a child could come, a stall where the animals would be placed for the night, most likely laid in a trough out of which the animals would have eaten. Now the shepherds know what to look for. That's not normal. This is a sign. If we see that, then what the angel is saying to us has to be realistic. But then, then I love what happens next. Okay, then we get to verse 13. And, and again, I want you at least for a moment to try to enter into this story that these shepherds on what would have seemed like a normal night 
going through their normal routines, having corralled their sheep, having now gotten down to rest for the night, have been interrupted in such a way that it has struck fear in their hearts, right? I mean, we've gone through all of this. And, and, if, and if all of that wasn't dreadful and terrifying and shocking enough, they now have been somewhat probably comforted, their wits about them. Hey, just listen to this message. It's not terrifying. Don't fear. Uh, God's here. <laughs> and if you don't believe me, go down. You're going to find a baby in a food trough, right? I mean, that's all that's transpired. And I think at this point, the guys are probably ready to grab their bags and head down and go see if they can't find this baby. But before that happens, it's as if God puts an exclamation point upon this message that the angel has brought. Because the angel is suddenly now surrounded by an army of angels. Like that's the word that's used here. Okay, when it says the heavenly host, host is a word that would be used to describe an army as you would look out on a battlefield and you would just see the army just covering every square inch of ground. You can't see ground anymore. It's just a host, an army covering this place. The, the word was used of the stars in the sky. Now, I know for us in Southern California, we don't get this, okay? All right, there's just too much light for us to go out at night and be overwhelmed by the stars. Okay, I get that. But for those of you who have ever been out in the country where you don't have all of the city lights and you have laid back in a field and you have gazed up into the black night sky and you have been overwhelmed with the heavenly hosts, the stars, it's it's. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, right? You, you can't fathom it. You can't wrap your mind around how many of them are there. That's what now has just happened for these shepherds. God puts this exclamation point as now the angel who has already terrified them, calmed them, given them this message, is surrounded by a host, an army that fills this place and they're singing, right? I mean, this... I don't even know. I, I, can't, I can't even just wrap my mind around the moment for these shepherds, okay? But now they're singing praises to God. And the message is summed up in two things. Glory to God, peace to man. Like that's the summary of this message. Glory to God in the highest and good to man here on earth. It's summed up that simply. We are going to honor God and we are going to be happy, glad on earth. There is going to be glory for God. There is going to be gladness for us. There is going to be praise for God. There is going to be peace for us. However you summarize this message, what is clear is that at the heart of this message is a message of peace. It's a message of peace. And so I want, to look, I want to look at three things really briefly out of Luke 2 that are going to help us then see how this message of peace from God to us transforms us into a people of peace toward those around us. So look at this first thing. Here's what this message of peace is demonstrating for us. God comes to us confronting the lack of peace. You, you realize that, right? I, I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life when I've sat down across from someone to just let them know, 
hey, we're good. Things are peaceful. Now, I have made that statement on the back end of conversations that had to work through conflict or discord to where we get to a point that we can look one another in the eye and say, are we good? Okay, yeah, we're good. Things are peaceful between us. But it never starts that way, does it? It never starts that way. I just, I don't know. I don't know that even my wife and I, I mean, as, as any married couple, we've worked through conflict together. And in working through conflict, we get to that point where we get to communicate peace with one another, but we don't start there. Typically, when the conversation starts, we come to one another to let the other know, hey, this isn't right between us. Things aren't peaceful between us. There's conflict, there's discord, there's gap, there's some relational breakdown between us. And that's first and foremost what God communicates when he gives a message of peace for, to, to those with whom he is pleased. Hey, I'm not at peace here with everyone. In fact, when Jesus shows up on the scene of humanity, this is something that every single person in this room, this is something that every single person in our city, every single person on this globe now or who has ever lived can, can take as the most trustworthy of sayings. When Jesus shows up on the scene of humanity, it immediately puts everyone else on the outside of God's peace. There are none who are at peace with God apart from Jesus. And so the message of peace is first and foremost something that should help us understand, well, wait, there's, we're not at peace with God. Nobody has been born at peace with God. Nobody walks into a church just because they're in a church at peace with God. Nobody is, is at peace with God simply because your family attended a church or, um, or was a part of a church community. Every single one of us stands outside of peace with God. We are by nature sinners and we are by choice sinners. We are in rebellion against God alienated, far off. Those are words that the Bible uses to describe your condition and mine apart from Christ. So the first thing that a message of peace does for us is show us that God cares enough to come and say, we're not at peace and something needs to be done about this. And here's what's amazing about the message of peace from God is he's going to do something about it. And so look at the second thing. We'll put it up here on the screen for you. A message of peace does this. A message of peace is not only God coming to confront the lack of peace, but a message of peace is God now humbling himself, serving us to make peace. When these angels begin to sing the praises of God and declare that peace has come to those with whom God is pleased, they are doing that in light of the announcement that God has sent his one and only son. And God has sent his one and only son to come to us to make peace with us. He, 
has offered up his son for us. His son has stooped down and taken upon flesh and blood for us. I mean, this is a message not just confronting the distance between us and God, but it's a message of peace that shows us God is willing to do what is necessary to reconcile, to bring peace back between him and his creation, humanity. He serves us. He humbles himself. He comes to us. He stoops for us. Just just as if you're familiar with the stories that continue in the gospel, and there's this point when Jesus is about to go to the cross and he gathers his disciples together and he actually takes upon himself the form of a servant. He, 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 he undresses his outer garment. He wraps it, a towel around his waist. He gets down on his hands and knees and he washes the feet of his disciples. He humbles himself for us. He serves us in order that we might have peace with him. He sacrifices himself for us in order that we might have peace with him. So he confronts the lack of peace, but he serves us. He humbles himself to to bring or make peace. And here's the third thing I want you to see here in in this Luke passage, this song that the angels are singing, is that God offers peace to us not because we're deserving, but because of his good pleasure. And it's his good pleasure alone that offers peace to us. Now, what, what, are, we, what are we saying here? When, when they declare glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Listen, this isn't, this isn't now a litmus test for all of us. This, this isn't God grading on a curve. This isn't an announcement that God has shown up and some of you are going to, to make it onto the, 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 the other side of, okay, I'm pleased with you guys. Okay, you've done just enough. Okay, thank you. We'll be at peace together. But I don't know about you guys over here, okay? Like you need to maybe pick it up a little. You can kind of see what these guys over here are doing. Maybe if you guys could just kind of get your act together, maybe you could get over the hump. That's not the pronouncement whenever we hear the angels singing that God is making peace. He's offering peace with those with whom he is pleased. What it's saying to us is that in the good pleasure of God, in the grace of God, because of who he is and the abounding mercy and loving kindness that is inherent to his nature as God, he is going to make peace with us. It has nothing to do with your efforts or my efforts. But it's a message of peace by God's grace through God's promised one. That's, that is the main idea of this message of peace. That we are offered peace not in our own merit, not because we've somehow deserved God's favor. If that were the case, we wouldn't call it favor. But God is going to bestow his favor on his people and he is going to reconcile them to himself through this savior who has come. Now, that's an unbelievable message, isn't it? That is the message of the gospel. God has come to confront the lack of peace. God has humbled himself, served us in order to make peace. And God is now offering peace by his grace alone. Like I said, you could sum that up as the gospel. And we could stop here. But what I want want you to see is I want you now to go to that passage we read earlier in 1 Peter chapter 3. 
And as you're making your way there, that was kind of the aim or the hope in this Advent series isn't just to, to, to reiterate and rehearse, though it's, 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 it's certainly worth our time to do that, the, the themes of Advent, that in Christ, God has given us hope. In Christ, God has given us peace. In Christ, God has given us joy. In Christ, God has demonstrated, expressed to us his love. We could sit and bask in those truths, and it would be enough. Yet those truths transform us as his people. And so I want us, before we close, is I want us to, to meditate briefly on this passage out of 1 Peter 3 and show you how practically the message of peace transforms us into a people of peace. Because of what God has done in us, he now produces, he now, he now empowers, he now works out of us what he's accomplished in us. And so the passage that we read earlier in 1 Peter 3 is this. It started in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And then he's going to quote, Peter is, out of the psalm, verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if this message of peace shows us the activity of God toward us. He has come to confront the lack. He has come to serve. He serves us, humbling himself to make peace. He offers peace by his grace, not on anything that we deserve. I want you to see how, how Peter uses those same themes to describe now what it looks like amongst the church community. The language that he uses here when he says, have unity of mind, have sympathy, brotherly love, have a tender heart, a humble mind. The language that he's using here, all of that, you can summarize it as an active pursuit toward those around you to be at peace. The context for Peter is actually speaking to a group of believers who are enduring a substantial amount of persecution. So he's not even talking about just conflict amongst the family, amongst the people of God. He's talking about those who are coming at them, opposing them, those who are falsely accusing them. And he's saying, hey, could you live in harmony with those around you? Could, could you be sympathetic toward those who are coming at you? Could you suffer alongside with them, understand their, their lack, their, their ignorance, what, what, that, that God has not done in them what he's done in you? I mean, this is a challenging message for the people of God. And I'll be honest with you. It's, it's a challenging message that would be impossible for us apart from God first proclaiming his peace he's made with us. But here we go. Number one, we're going to work through these same three things. And we're going to see how 
God's peace empowers us. So God comes to us confronting the lack of peace, so we seek and pursue peace with those in con- when we're in conflict with others. Now, I, my guess is, my guess is, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if we did a, a quick poll, my guess is everybody would be like, yeah, 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 I'm good with that. That seems right. I mean, God's kind of done, you know, so much, gone to such great lengths to make peace with us. I suppose that that's something that we should, we should do with one another. I, I get that just, just words on a screen or, or a concept presented, I get that we could all agree with that. But I want to talk practically, okay? I want us, if we can, and I, I understand that we're in Orange County this morning, and, and so there's kind of this unspoken rule when it comes to the broader culture we live in here about how deep we go and how serious we get and how realistic we are about life. I mean, we like to kind of pretend that everything's cool and we've got it all together, all right? And, and so I, that's just, that's who we are. That is who we are. And so what we do with something like this And my guess is, okay, I'm not asking you to elbow the person next to you. I'm just saying if we're honest with one another, my guess is we have probably all said something like this. Yeah, 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 you wouldn't wouldn't believe what they did. But, you know, I'm good. I'm good, and I prayed about it. And, you know, God's, God's, he's comforted my own heart, and I've forgiven them. But I I I don't need to be friends with them anymore. I don't need to be in community with them anymore. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really have to spend time or hang out with them anymore. That's how we roll here. We like to spiritualize our selfishness. That's what we do. We pray about it. We're forgiving. Everything's good. Well, did you go talk with them about it? Oh, no, no, I don't need to do that. Well, what, why? Why? If God is willing to come into humanity in order to communicate with you and I that there's not peace and look to pursue peace with us, why? Why when there's conflict between one another, are we unwilling to take that step toward a brother, toward a sister, toward a family member, toward a coworker? Why are we unwilling to take that step to say, hey, this isn't right? between us and to pursue peace with them. There's, there should be some conviction in this for us. And my guess is that God in his grace will do that by his spirit. Because if we're honest, we spiritualize our selfishness far more often than we walk this out empowered by the spirit of God. But there should be peace. We should be known as people of peace. We should be pursuing, Romans 12, Paul says, as far as it depends on us to live peaceably. And we do that because we see God has come. God has pursued. God has sought. And if he's done that in us, we now are empowered to do that toward those around us. And so God comes to us confronting the lack of peace, so we seek, pursue peace with those in con- when we are in conflict with others. But look, look at the second thing, all right? You guys remember the second point? We looked at God serving us. He humbles himself to make peace. And so if he's done that, then, then we humble ourselves in order to make peace with others. 
we humble ourselves to serve others. We, we put the needs of others even before our own. Now, again, this, this should be something that while we can nod our heads practically, this is not our lives, is it? We spend a good portion of our lives looking after our needs. Okay? It's the way that we drive in traffic. It's the way that we plan our time. It's even the way that we can interact in our homes. Who's looking out for me? When do I get my due? Why is everybody around here not just bending their will to serve my desires? And what wells up inside of us is the exact opposite of what Christ Jesus has demonstrated for us in coming to serve us. And so this is something that we need to see from this message of peace that God has not just come to humble himself and serve us, though he has done that, but in doing that, he now begins to transform us into a people that would be willing to humble ourselves and serve those around us. I, I, I want you guys to, to understand how impactful it is to the community around us when they see the church doing that. For those of you that were, were there last night at Winter Wonderland, for those of you that, that were serving and those of you that were caring and those of you that were helping kids up ladders and sending them down or with crafts or, or whatever it was, it, it, it's, it's, a resounding, um, it's a resounding phrase that you heard last night. I heard it. We talked about it on our servant teams this morning as people would just say, man, thank you. Like, this is amazing. You, you, you guys are here just to help us out. Like you're, you're going out of your way just to care and serve for us. I mean, it, it, is, it is an apologetic for the gospel of Jesus Christ when the church actually steps out of serving themselves and is willing to humble themselves to serve the needs of those around them. It, especially in our day and time. And so praise God for the doors that he's opened for us here. May God open doors for that, for Breakwater, as they step into this community. May God do that for Stone Table as they're sitting into Hawthorne. May the church in Orange County and the, specifically those who are part of the work of the gospel here be known as those who don't just worship a Jesus who's humbled himself to serve them, but actually follow his example empowered by his spirit to serve those around them. Let's look at this third thing. God offers peace to us by his good pleasure alone. Right? Remember, it's not that we're deserving of this message of peace, this, this, these overtures that God has made toward us. It's not as if he looked at all of humanity and decided that some of us were, were deserving or willing to, to, uh, to do things, jump through hoops to earn or, or, or curry his favor. No, God offers his peace by his good pleasure alone. So we love, we forgive. As Peter's saying here in this passage, we bless why do we love, forgive, and bless? Because we've been loved. We've been forgiven. We've been blessed. That's why. 
this is not in any way a burden for you and I to put upon our shoulders this morning and begrudgingly walk out of here into our homes and into our workplaces tomorrow at this time and, and into our neighborhoods. And, and now we have to carry this weight of, well, I guess I'm going to love you guys because, you know, Jesus did this. And we just kind of bear that weight, right, until we're just groveling, you know, woe is me. Right? I mean, but that's kind of how we view this often, isn't it? This, this call to be a people who love, who serve, who forgive, who bless. And if that is, if that is the emotion, if that is the sense, if that is the feeling, if that is the response for you, when you hear that God has called us to be a blessing, to love, to serve, to forgive, then I need you to know that you have missed the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells this story, and it's actually not even a parable, but it's something that played out right before him. This is in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is in the house of this very religious man, and Jesus has been accepted as a guest but as he's brought into this room and they begin to have the meal together, the man really does nothing to demonstrate honor to Jesus as his guest. He doesn't offer him any water to wash his feet, which would have been uh, just a common courtesy in that time. Um, he doesn't really give him any greeting, you know, kissing him on the cheek, which would have been, again, just common in that day. Um, and, and, and for all intents and purposes, Jesus kind of tells the, the story, sets the scene in Luke 7 that would kind of give us the impression that there really isn't even any honor to where Jesus is seated as they share this meal together. And so um, as they're eating this meal in this religious man's house, this woman of questionable character comes in. And when I say questionable character, most likely she would have fallen into the category in that day of, of sinner. Um, and, and she probably would have had some type of promiscuous past. Um, so she was either a woman who'd been caught or, or been involved in adultery, or, or she, she could have even been a prostitute herself. And she comes in, this woman of questionable character. And when she sees Jesus seated at the table, she immediately begins to, to sob and with her tears washes Jesus' feet, using her hair to wipe the filth and the grime from Jesus' feet. And she begins to kiss Jesus in honor to who he is and what he has done in coming to bring peace to us between God and man. And, and now Jesus, this scene in front of him, he looks at this religious guy, the guy's name's Simon, and, and he, he, he perceives that Simon is thinking, man, this Jesus is a fraud. What a joke this Jesus guy is. Because here I've invited him into my home, an upstanding religious man in the community. I've honored him by allowing him to be here in my presence. And he is welcoming this woman of question. And if he was any type of prophet, he would have to know who this woman was. And he wouldn't even associate with a woman of, 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 care, of, of, of ill repute and character as this one. And perceiving that that's happening in, in Simon's heart... Jesus then says this. He says, hey, there's two people. They both owe a debt. One of them, it's insurmountable. The other one, it's not so much. They're both forgiven this debt. Which, which of the people do you think is going to love their master the more? 
And while this guy is clearly pious and upright and self-righteous, he's, uh, he's not dull or dim-witted. And, and he understands the story enough to say, I suppose the one who's been forgiven more would love more. And, and Jesus now turns the table on him and says, you didn't offer me water to wash my own feet. And yet this woman has not stopped washing my feet with her tears since she entered. You did not greet me with any honor, with any kiss, with with any welcome. And yet she has not stopped kissing my feet since she entered. You answered correctly. The one who's forgiven much will love much. And the one who's forgiven little will love little. See, we've missed the heart of the gospel if we come to the call upon us to be a people of peace, people that will step into relationships to say, hey, this isn't right. Let's work through this together. People who will humble themselves and serve and care and meet the needs of those around them even before their own. People that would love and forgive and bless. We've missed it if we look at those as a burden for us as the church to carry instead of, instead of the very power of God who raised Jesus from the dead living in us, empowering us to do exactly what Jesus has called us to do in following him. And so I want to close encouraging us this morning as we continue through this Advent time to let this be a place of response for us. For those of you who don't know Jesus, we want you to know him. We want you to see that God has made peace between you and him through sending his son, Jesus, to die in your place for your sins, to offer his very righteousness to you because your efforts of righteousness would never attain his pleasure favor. And so that's what you would do in response this morning, if you don't know Jesus, is you would just respond to the goodness and grace of God, this message of peace. We want you to follow Jesus. For those of you who are part of the church, you're followers of Jesus, what we're inviting you to do this morning is to begin to walk out these things as the Spirit of God convicts and compels you. My guess is, before you even come down to take communion this morning, there may be someone sitting just right there beside you that you need to turn to and say, you know what, I'm sorry, but yeah, this isn't right between us. And, and you, you confess and you repent and you pray and you reconcile. And then you come and you celebrate the body and blood of Jesus who has brought peace between you and God and peace between you and one another. Maybe there's someone to text or call. I just think if we're going to truly enjoy and celebrate this season of Advent for what it is, then we're going to be a people who don't just glory in these truths, but people who see these truths transforming us practically the relationships of those in our lives. So let's pray together, and then I'm going to invite Pastor Jeff up to kind of walk us through the rest of the response time. Heavenly Father, we do ask you to help us to make us, to transform us, that we would be the kind of people you've called us to be. Father, I, I'll be the first to raise my hand and admit 
that I spiritualize my own selfishness, that I look at the relationships of those around me at times and I put my needs before theirs and I justify it. And I justify it in ways that do not honor you. And yet you have saved me by your grace. You have poured out your mercy, your spirit upon me. You have made peace with me. Father, may that well up in my heart to be one who loves and serves and forgives and blesses as you have done that toward me. May we be a people known for that. So Father, may your spirit now just move in our hearts and minds. May you compel us toward one another to be at peace together. May we be able, um, as we celebrate the, the coming of Jesus, may we be able to do that with pure hands with, with clean, um, you know, consciences. May we be able to do that this season, knowing that we're walking in all the goodness and grace you've given us in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.